Welcome back to part two on CrossFit competition simulations. And this one I'm gonna give you going through a specific example, running through a simulation that I did with uh, two of the athletes that I coach. And it's because we are all gearing up for competitions, uh, in-person competitions in January specifically. So um, I'm gonna explain why we did it this way, why we structured it, my thought process behind it, and just walk through the events and like what the structure of them looked like and again, this is going to be a great follow-up to the previous podcast, episode number 126, which I would encourage you to go listen to if you haven't uh, already. So really quickly, I want to review part one. First thing I sought to do was answer three questions. Number one is who is the simulation best for and who is it inappropriate for? It is best for an athlete who will benefit more from doing a simulation and practicing the rhythms and the patterns that are necessary to be at their best there and gaining confidence from going through that process than it is for them to go about their normal training. And likewise, who is it inappropriate for? It's an athlete who they should just spend more time in their normal training because it's going to put them into a recovery deficit or they're not going to make up in terms of like specific weaknesses they have relative to the field if they go through that and uh, that competition simulation any more uh, than if they would just go about their normal training, right? If that's the situation, then probably it doesn't necessarily make sense to go through a, a mock simulation. Okay. Two, what is the best timing for a simulation? Basically, uh, maybe three to six weeks out from competition, enough time where it clears up fatigue, but not so long that the athlete doesn't feel like the competition is like eminent, that it's like right there and like in front of them and like they want to actually give full effort. So balancing, make sure that they can be recovered with uh, making sure that they're actually feeling ready and sharp to do a simulation. And then three, what should a simulation entail and what should it not entail? Basically, just as it sounds, you're simulating the competition. You're trying to get as close as you can to replicating what you're actually going to be doing. However, you're not trying to put your bias onto it. You're trying to put the competition organizer's bias onto it. And the only way you can do that is if you go through the five steps that I laid out, which is how you actually program a CrossFit simulation. One is to research your competition. Gather all the past events, all the past venues, as much data as you can about the specifics of what actually happened and just sort of get a general sense of what's going on. Two is to perform an analysis on that. So looking at durations of workouts, the common movement pairings, the typical time caps, any unique movements or venues that they have. Um, just again, getting as many details and a more clear picture through an analysis to, to help kind of augment the understanding that you already have of what's going on at the competition. Three is to do a cross comparison. And again, specifically here, looking at relative to a typical CrossFit testing body, how is this different, right? Are we seeing more of a certain movement? Are we seeing more of a certain time domain? Are we seeing unique elements that are being repeated every single year because it's sort of unique to that competition and sort of that puts their signature stamp onto it, so to speak? How does it compare to, again, a typical CrossFit competition? Four, as you're actually beginning to program the simulation itself, thinking about biasing programming to existing events, ones that are already out there, look, making formats that are similar to that, we're just using past workouts to create your simulation. And then five, less is more. The goal is not to beat down your athletes. The goal is not to um, have them feel like they actually went through a real competition where they are just completely trash afterwards, potentially, or you know, maybe there's just like way too many events. You need to just understand that like, okay, the goal is for them to feel prepared, to have a confidence boost, but not to have lingering fatigue and certainly not to be dealing with nagging injuries or 
um, real injuries that pop up as a result of doing that simulation. So less is more. The fitness movement is brought to you by Zord Fitness. We offer coaching and individualized program design, as well as educational content for coaches and athletes. It's all at one place, ZordFitness.com. One more thing that I want to talk through before I actually go through those five steps for the simulation that, that we did was why this simulation and why now, why the timing of it? So firstly, the timing of it. Again, one of the principles that we go back to is like just trying to avoid disrupting um, regular training as much as possible. All right. So allowing the athletes to continue to string good training weeks back to back, continue to string good training cycles back to back. That's like the primary goal of like almost all training, right? It's just to continue to have them stack wins. So a simulation is try not trying to detract from that at all. However, it can be sort of a, almost a break in some respects from normal training. So specifically for the athletes who did this myself, it was Riley Stolzfus and Sam Hagen, who all three of us did this. We're in a very similar boat where we're all competing in January. Riley's going to be doing Wadapalooza on a team, which is a little bit different, but I'll, I'll get into the of why we all did the same one. Um, Sam and I are competing at TFX, the fittest experience. So Texas and a one week after Riley, I believe. So yeah, why, why that timing? Again, we're all going to be doing camp here, um, me to a lesser degree. However, it's still a, an output for me. And then for Sam and Riley, who are actually going to be participating in it, it's a packed weekend, even for people who are volume adapted and resilient, like they both are. Um, it's still a disruption of like normal training for them. So it's just something that we need to be aware of. I was trying to avoid being really close to that, right? I didn't really want to be within two weeks of doing that. So basically that's what sort of made sense here is like, okay, we're deloading after sort of our first comp prep. We'll then go into the simulation. We'll go through another short training phase, camp, and then basically uh, maybe a few more days of realistically of, of training and then a taper to actually prep for the competition. So that's why the, the timing of things just made sense where it allows, it's basically maximizing their normal training time and then um, putting, in this case, it was like camp's already set in stone. So the simulation at a time where it makes sense that they're going to be able to put a good effort out onto it. And yet again, it still feels like, oh yeah, this is it. We actually are approaching competition and I'm excited to like gear up and do this thing. So those are all sort of like the reasons like why the timing was the way it was. And then people were probably wondering like, why is Riley doing this? If she's com uh, competing in Wadapalooza, this is a really a TFX simulation. Um, it's because she did TFX the prior year and she did all of these exact same workouts along with me. I didn't go to TFX. I just did them along with her to help her out. Um, wasn't coaching her at the time, but, uh, yeah, I mean, for, for her, it's going to be a huge confidence boost because she's likely going to see in every single test that she's going to improve dramatically um, just because she's way fitter than she was last year. So um, that's going to be cool to see. And like it probably, I mean, the goal is really for it to be a confidence boost for her, right? And then for me and Sam, we're obviously preparing for the fittest experience. So that makes perfect sense. And the, really the, the statistical analysis really didn't change from 2023 to 2024. It really just kind of was in alignment with what was already there. So it doesn't really make sense to change that. And Sam hasn't done these, this simulation yet. So it makes sense for him to do it. And then for me, it's like, would I do a different set of tests just because I've already done these? and I don't want to retest them for me personally. I think there's more benefits from me basically getting the push 
because I'm doing this with other athletes and knowing that I'm going to be comparing my data versus theirs and seeing where things are stacked up with stick stacked up at. And then also just like the camaraderie of like doing it together. I will push way harder doing that than if I just did some other simulation on my own, just made up new workouts for me to do just for uh, kicks and gigs. <laughs> so basically that was my thought process uh, as to why, um, yeah, each of us, it makes sense for us to do it, even if it wasn't maybe a perfect fit for uh, the event or, or the athlete based on timing. For me, as I think about this, it's like you want to, as a coach or as an athlete, like leverage you know, pockets of your community to basically to elevate each other's performance level, right? That, sh that should really be the goal of something along these lines is to build confidence and just like let the tide raise all the ships. So let's actually go through programming this event. One was doing the research, two was performing the analysis and the cross comparison, and then three is actually programming it and keeping in mind some of the principles that I mentioned. So researching your competition and doing the analysis, I had already done this before for Riley the previous year. So I basically, the good thing about this sort of thing is like you can just sort of add to it as you go about it. Um, I have the same thing for all the CrossFit games and quarterfinals and semifinals and age groupers and all the spreadsheets in all the world. <laughs> um, basically I have all the events written out and then like um, looking at like different movement selections, time domains, that sort of thing, right? I have that for basically every major um, competition that I've had an athlete do, right? So I have it for like fitness on the coast, Waterpalooza. I have it for obviously TFX and the game season and masters and teens and the whole deal. So, um, yeah, moving on. So I, I have all the, the events written out here. I have some general notes about it and like what movements came up. And then one of the big things that I did was I created a movement checklist. So I just went through each event checking them off it's kind of monotonous but it is what it is for example um you know the the first uh workout from last year was gay okay, was overhead squats was the strength it's like okay one x on overhead squat that was one appearance of it and then i go to event two and it's like okay that one has hang squat cleans and ring muscle-ups okay so those each get a mark and then it's double unders and handstand walks i'm xing off each of those and then slowly over time you'll get a list of all the movements and then also the number of appearances that they have. So for TFX, one of the things that was very clear, I, I didn't even do this for five years, but there was five appearances of vested workouts, which again is very important to note because there was at least one vested workout every single year. Four appearances of running. So again, at least one a year. Double unders as well. So two appearances, like high appearances of bounding movements, which is important to know. And then handstand walk. And again, some of these things you can start to correlate back to um, like other aspects of the, like the venue. So for example, like you're probably not going to be taking stuff out of a rack just because like the rig that's brought in probably doesn't have J-cups on it. They bring in the stall mats where like the, the rubber flooring and it's often uneven or it doesn't even cover the entire floor because they have like dirt at some spots. So again, practically speaking, you're probably more likely to see like handstand walking than like handstand pushups because in fact, handstand pushups have never shown up. Again, if you have a rig set up, you might not have a wall ball target on it. Funny enough, wall balls have never shown up. You may, may or may not get like dumbbell variations, right? In fact, there's been very little of that. Um, so like that, that's the sort of thing you could pay attention to. Like Lasorp plans, they do have that. Again, for like me in the elite division, I'm very likely to see the legless version of that because they probably want to have multiple tiers of different workouts where they can sort of compare against, you know, the... RX division versus the elite division, for example. So again, likely for me, I'm much more likely to see a legless rope climb versus probably just a regular rope climb at this point. 
I think a lot of that sort of thing, you can just sort of like intuitively understand, right? If you're going to have a pull-up bar and rings set up, you're probably going to do ring muscle-ups and you're probably going to do something like a, a toes to bar um, variation, right? Versus like saying, okay, we're going to do chest to bar and we're going to do bar muscle-ups. Um, not that that hasn't happened because it has. However, you're more likely to see them trying to use their equipment in as many unique ways as they can. So legless rope climbs and uh, ring muscle-ups have had three appearances, snatches has a three, uh, shoulder overhead of three, um, sandbags, I've had three or a D ball. I forget which it was, but, um, again, that's the sort of thing that you just need to pay attention to. And a lot of their, their max strength events are just like pulling off the floor, right? Even if it's a, an overhead squat or something, you're not taking it out of a rack. So if you're overhead squatting from the floor, it's like a power clean back rack, widen out the hands into an overhead squat. There's a lot different process that you just go through for that. And then after I went through that analysis, there was a lot of notes that I went and, and just sort of like checked off and like kind of uh, stuff that I, as I continued to go through, I sort of had like kept notes in the background. And some of these were um, implications of those things. One was getting comfortable with this, uh, a sandbag and a weight vest. Two things that have shown up that are unique that, you know, again, a lot of athletes have had some exposures to, but not like something that they're doing all the time in the regular training. So uh, making sure that you're getting touches of that. Lifting without a rack and minimal dropping so there's a lot more from the hang. Minimal dropping just meaning that like from the organizer's standpoint, it seems like they didn't have as much pulling from the floor um, just because like the floor is probably uneven. This is my interpretation of it maybe, is that yeah, they did more from the hang just so people weren't going down back down to the, the uneven stall mats as often. Likely to get like some sort of a strength event that's not out of a rack. So even if it is a, a squatting event, you still gotta get it up to your shoulders or up to the overhead position. Um, you're likely to see handstand walking, muscle ups, legless rope climbs, double unders, and some sort of a lifting ladder. Those are all things that had a lot of appearances. Um, they will want to use the venue. Duh. In this case, it was like, okay, they have a pull-up bar, they have a rope, they have rings, they have running, um, the, all things. And they, they also have used it like a parking lot with like a, like a torque tank and D-ball before. So again, just important things to note of in like terms of like how they structure the events, thoughts about. There's typically six events over three days of competition. And that's not a lot of volume for high level athletes. So it's more about intensity and the lead up to this as you're preparing the athletes versus just trying to beat them down. Cause it's a 12 event competition, like the games or something seven, they usually buy at least one set of ergs and then resell them after the event. So basically what that means is it's almost fair game is what, what ergs pop up or what implements like a, a torque tank or a sandbag or something, because, um, they'll just sell right? Like they, they will buy it and then they'll sell it at the competition and they'll just have a turnover for the next year. Like they have a fleet of rowers or a fleet of skiers and then they'll, they'll just sell them. So in other words, it's probably not a bad idea to continue exposures on all the ergs. Uh, weight vests have shown up in at least one workout every year. And often when that actually appears, it's usually in either a bounding or a grip limited workout. So it's either like hanging, hanging gymnastics or like running or double unders in that workout. Nine, the RX category moved to mirror the pro division in 2022. I called it elite before they call it pro. Likely stay that way moving forward. So in other words, as the event organizers, you're probably going to write the workouts where even the bottom part of the, the RX division can is able to complete them. Um, maybe, maybe not like you know, under a time cap or something, but they're able to actually do the movements. Um, so in other words, it maybe isn't as crazy of a move selection for the, the pro uh, division. 
and then routing and double unders and likely box jumps will be tested in some capacity. There's usually at least one bounding movement that's that's coming up. And then finally, number 11, complexes and ladders on a very tight clock. Um, usually this was like an EMOM ladder where again, rest is going to be very short or like you have like five minutes to like establish a max lift. They're trying to get a lot of heats through and not a long time. So it's just like important that the athlete can be confident under a, a really high pressure environment for lifting. Do you have a topic that you'd like to request as a future show or just a question about training? Reach out to me. My email is ben at zorfitness.com or you can DM me on Instagram at zorfitness. Lastly, head over to zorfitness.com if you want to browse all of our previous shows with in-depth show notes as well as educational content for all things training. So those were the first two steps, research and competition, performing and analysis. And then next would be like doing a cross comparison. And for me, this isn't really difficult because I'm pretty used to what we're seeing as like a quarterfinals testing body so far and like what we're preparing, you know, like Sam and Riley and even myself for uh, in terms of like the, the regular CrossFit game season. And one of the big things is like, okay, you're not going to get like outdoor running um, in like a quarterfinals. So you might get shoulder runs, you might get double unders, you might get box jumps but you're not likely to see like a long event. That's like 30 plus minute with like a mass start. You're not going to see that, which you could very well see that at a Wadapalooza or TFX. And you're not going to get like linear running. Uh, it could also be like outdoors up and down. It could be vested, right? So the vested thing is another big difference and for TFX. And then the swimming thing is a huge difference for Wadapalooza. Like those are things that you're just not going to see. Um, likewise, you're, you're pretty unlikely to see like a heavy double under or drag rope um, in a quarterfinals testing body. However, Wadapalooza and TFX have both implemented like heavy ropes, for example, or like a torque tank or like a ski erg or a bike erg or even an air bike, because like those are things that like besides the rower, um, because it's easiest to be standardized, it's you're not seeing other ergs in online competition environments and making sure that you're getting um, just touches of those other things, Like right? Those sorts of things are what we're talking about, or maybe like a high foam box where you're going to have like a series of those, like you might have 10 of those because you got 10 lanes at the competition where that's very easy to bring in that sort of thing at, a, at an in-person competition, but it's very difficult to standardize that sort of thing at an online competition. Most difference here uh, in terms of like, what please TFX versus like a quarterfinals testing body was just the fact that like quarterfinals is a online competition and with a qualifier, there's always difficult things about like, you know, standardizing and making sure that everything's uniform and like floor layouts, right? As simple as like advancing equipment to like illustrate, um, you know, the workout for like the, the fans is something that's probably way more likely to be seen at a, well, you don't see that at a quarterfinals test. Um, and you're going to obviously see that if it's a quality competition at a, an in-person event. So yeah, things like that. So that's, I, I didn't really need an in-depth cross comparison, but that was sort of like my thought process. Um, then actually getting into the programming itself. So, so let's actually go to the simulation and walk through it. I will link to this in the show notes and the description on YouTube. Uh, event number one was actually a two-parter event one a and one B road to glory, 12 minute clock event. One a was a one mile run in a weight vest and uh, event 1B was an AMRAP in the remaining time of that 10 minute clock of four alternating pistols and four box jump overs uh, to typical heights. Uh, and again, that was both parts were in a, in a weight vest. 
Uh, event two, hinge pool, which was a variation off uh, squat pool, which was one of their workouts. So very, very similar structure of workouts. So it's basically changed from squatting reps to hinging reps, as the name alludes to. Four time with a 14 minute cap, 15 bar muscle ups, 45 deadlifts, 155, 105, 30 chest to bar, 30 cleans, 155, 105, 45 pull ups, 15 snatches, 155, 105. And there you're advancing the bar about 12 feet uh, for each new movement. So that was day number one. Day two, event three, grip and RIP rip. Uh, four two-minute intervals with 60 seconds of rest between each of those intervals. Uh, 60 double-unders, three legless rope climbs to 12 feet. And then dual kettlebell clean and jerks from the hang, 53 for males per hand, 35 for ladies. Advance the kettlebells after every five reps. And I believe that was six feet that we advanced the, the kettlebells there. Um, again, 60 seconds between rounds. So you're continuing to go in that fashion until you reach 50 reps or until the end of that fourth two-minute interval. Event four, max complex. Five-minute clock, four max load, three cleans, and one jerk. And then day three, event five, rump pump. Four time with a 16-minute cap, three sandbag clean, three sandbag squats. 60-foot sandbag carry, 30-foot handstand walk. And then it climbs with the same movements. Six sandbag cleans, six sandbag squats, 60 foot carry, 30 foot handstand walk, nine clean, nine squat, 60 foot carry, 30 foot handstand walk, and 12 sandbag clean, 12 sandbag squats, 60 foot carry, 30 uh, foot handstand walk. Uh, 150 pound bag for males, 104 females. And then finally was the finale with four time with a five minute cap. 40 calories for males, 30 for females on an airbike, 20 burpee box getovers uh, to 40 inches for males and females, and you may use your hands to get over the box, and then 10 meters of an overhead walking lunge, 185 for males, 125 for females. So those are the events. I definitely didn't entirely make them all up. Uh, one was the, that Road to Glory one, the two-parter was with the one-mile run, and the pistols and box jump overs was one that they had already done. And then I made a small iteration off the, the squat pool workout to a being a hinge pool workout just because there was already some squat volume and, and bounding uh, stuff with the pistols before. I didn't want people's knees getting really irritated from this. So I just made it a, a hinging based thing. And that's one thing that I kind of like rely on as I write these is like only deviate from it as it like makes sense, right? You want the basically the totality of the simulation to make sense. So if you need to make adjustments to the individual events or the program as a whole to make sure that, again, it just like follows good program design principles of like just programming any other competition, um, that's a probably a good idea provided that it still reflects the competition, which it obviously did. So that's what I mean by biasing towards like existing events. Like some of them were iterations of workouts we've already seen, exact variations of workouts we've already seen, or very similar structuring of events, like a five minute clock for a clean complex of some kind, or um, intervals with 60 seconds of rest where you reset in between and there's like a buy in each round, um, and like advancing your, your piece of work, um, your implement that is, um, or like a, a sandbag, handstand walk, like strongman gymnastics combination is very common. Uh, or like a finale where it's more like gritty and like a, a short sprint chipper sort of thing. Again, all things that you would be very likely to see in a competition like this. Finally, I would kind of underscore one more time that less is more for Riley, Sam, and myself. This was 
a significant reduction in the, the training that we would normally do on three normal training days. So in terms of like the total work that we're doing, not necessarily just like prep time for it, because you can obviously, if you're at a competition, you can spend way more time than you would normally do to prep for each workout to make sure you're um, as primed as you need to be as like perfect like cool downs. There's a lot more like, again, as I said before in the previous one, like game day hygiene around that, which does take some time, certainly fueling and all that stuff takes time cameras. If you're going to like film it and like review and like that sort of stuff all takes time. So it's still the stress, but in terms of like training volume, it was a pretty significant reduction again, compared to what we're just normally doing like a day-to-day normal basis. One more thing to sort of underscore is that there's going to be plenty of stress when you're actually doing this, if you do it correctly and do it well. However, um, it shouldn't be so draining that it detracts from your, your normal, good quality training moving forward. And then like the results, like how I felt about it, my, like my reflections, um, I think it definitely appropriately challenged each of the, the athletes, like each of the three of us who did it. And it was a good comparison for myself and from Riley from the previous year. Um, it was far enough away where like, you, I didn't even really remember a lot of the events of like the specifics around them or like how they felt necessarily. For Riley, she's just like a dramatically different athlete than she was last year at this time, which is obviously really cool to see. But overall, they haven't released any of the workouts yet for any of our competitions, but I'm expecting that is going to at least in some way have uh, carryover and benefit to the athletes, if nothing else, from a confidence building perspective. Like, I feel like we are prepared to actually go and hit our competition and do it well. And there's also a few things that kind of popped up as a result of this simulation that are sort of like not like red flags, but there's sort of like things to kind of call attention to and like, okay, we should continue to touch on this thing because there's, there's an avenue here that we probably have additional low hanging fruit, an area that we can leverage. Um, just like things that we can continue to work on. It's like learnings that happened with the individual athletes that, um, will only benefit them as we go into our final training block leading into the competitions. So that's how I actually go about the process of programming a CrossFit simulation. Thanks for listening today. If you're someone who just started listening to the show, I would encourage you to subscribe so you can stay up to date. If you're someone who's been listening for a while, I would encourage you to rate and review the show. And lastly, the best thing that you can do to support our work is also the best thing that you can do for your performance. And that is by hiring one of our coaches. Until next time, stay the course. <laughs>